0: Up, family. How you doing? This is Edgar Otra Vez, and this is another episode of the Flow Row Podcast. On today's show, I have Emily as a co-host, and we'll be talking about the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, season one, and kind of a part of season two. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Now, if you want to support the podcast, head on over to shop.theflowrow podcast.com. Again, that's shop dot com. Now on with the show. Um, so, uh, welcome to the Flow Road Podcast. This is Edgar Traves with my co-host today, Emily Buena'i. <laughs> that
1: is how you spell it. Hello. That's, that's
0: how you spell it. All right. So today... <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about um, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, we're going to go through a review of season one. Uh, I, currently, the show is up into season three, uh, which I've seen most of already. And uh, the, show, the showrunner is Amy Sherman. Uh, the. Uh, the Paladino. Yes. Amy Sherman Palladino very yeah damn you caught me there yeah (laughs) it's a hyphenated name and uh, Mrs. Maisel the uh the 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 main character is played by Rachel Brosnahan who is born in I believe Milwaukee Wisconsin but was raised on the north side of uh Chicago and uh, she is uh she she actually uh she's been in a few things she uh from what i remember in her imdb she she started in or she she had a role in the house of cards and uh, she was the uh she was the the little reporter who um who was who got thrown into in front of the train if, did you ever see
1: I'm guilty of not watching um, all of House of Cards, um, and I have not seen that episode. So that's good to know. I might check that one out.
0: Yeah, she's she's actually she's actually pretty good. I remember seeing her in that show and thinking, wow, what you know, she's a pretty good little actress, you know. Um, but she just shines in the show. I really, I really, I really like this show, and uh, I was I uh, had watched the first episode over again and it starts off with her being you know like she she wanted to be the mom she wanted to be the wife and she wanted to have the kids and she wanted that life and as things progress uh and her basic her her dream kind of collapsed she begins to find a new dream for herself and uh one of the things that that you you remind me of and Amy Sherman Paladino, the showrunner uh I guess the show has been criticized for mrs. Mazel not being a a mom that's present she's mm-hmm. like the kids are always with the grandparents or whatever and uh, the showrunners like f you you know like like uh why does the why does this woman always have to like Uh, be at home and not and then like for example Mad Men all those characters they never see their kids but nobody says anything about it you know and uh, I was going to read this quote that she she threw out um, says uh, the main negative thing that I've been getting from about the Midge about Midge is about her being away from kids from her kids and I have no patience for that shit whatsoever I never saw one person say dick about Don Draper in uh, Mad Men not hanging out with his kids so fuck that shit I love how she talks <laughs> these, kids, these kids have two sets of grandparents who dote on them and they have a father there that's there all the time if this woman has to go out on the road to make a living fuck you if you have an issue with that and I mean that with all my heart <laughs> or with, with all the love in my heart that's what she means she said. Anyway, um and you
1: know um much about Amy Sherman Paladino? I do not.
0: Uh aside from her being the showrunner and, and had directed I guess and written some of the episodes, I do not um know much about her.
1: So full disclosure, um I totally did not prepare for this chat at all, except to watch Mrs. Mazel. Um and It was a show that I originally did not want to start watching because I knew I was going to love it so much. Yeah. And I like to save things so that I can uh, have something to look forward to. And when you binge something right away, it's like, oh, man, now I have to wait till the next season comes out. And living in the times of COVID, a lot of these shows are not able to be in production right now properly. So you're going to be waiting for a long time. And there's shows like um, the BBC did the show Sherlock with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. And that's an example of a show where you're waiting a long time in between new seasons. So I really wanted to absorb this show. I am very familiar with Amy Sherman Palladino because she was also the showrunner over at Gilmore Girls. Oh, and you ever watch that?
0: I've seen an episode here and there, but I've never watched the whole thing.
1: It's interesting, the quote you shared about you know motherhood. First of all, again, I completely agree with Amy's response to people criticizing the way she's depicted, the way Midge is depicted as a mother, mm. because any other mother in the 50s is doing all the 1950s mom stuff. And this is just telling the story of someone who maybe took a different, you know, route. And there were a lot of women that went to these clubs like the Gaslight, which is the club that she performs in, in season one of the show. Um, These underground like places in New York City, it was happening. Whether people want to admit it or not, not every woman was in a housewife uniform in the kitchen. So this was happening. It's not completely like unheard of. Um, And on the show Gilmore Girls, It was all about the mom-daughter relationship, and the mom's entire life was her daughter. They were best friends, and that also is a show that's very much do-do-do-do-do. The the, the script, the writing is quick and witty and crazy and clever, and here she is doing it again, and I think that her writing speaks for itself. Her Emmy nominations and wins speak for Mm -hmm. themselves, and it's just a fun show to watch and visually stunning as well
0: there is in the first episode when they first arrive at the gaslight there's like a a one shot run through into the little path uh down the stairs going into the gaslight co- uh club and you i you could almost feel like you're in the club you know like you're walking down into the stairs right behind them because at one point like it looks like the camera like got stuck in somebody's coat or something you know like <laughs> And I was like, "Wow, this is so cool," you know. And uh, and then you walk into this club, and it's it's got like a grandness, but it also like a shabbiness at the same time. It's not big, you know. It, it looks it looks beat up, and I and I just just love that part of it, you know, because there are places like that, and those those little places, they're the they're they're gold mines for people, right, and. Uh, that's it. It was it was really interesting to see her develop, especially in the in the newer episode or in the beginning beginning episodes, because she had this transformation from from the mother from this from the this this role that we're talking about this role that is expected of people, especially back then, right? Because um, at one point the father is like because you know if you haven't seen the show by now you probably shouldn't be listening to this so spoiler alert but um uh, you uh, like at one point the father's like you know the, uh, Joel Mazel, Michael Zegan um uh, he leaves her right for almost no reason he's going through some kind of personal crisis he bombed and he, you know, he turns tail. He turns tail and, and run out, runs out of the club, and it's just he feels humiliated, but also like he's been having an affair, and there's all this nonsense that he's going through. This personal nonsense. Um, I guess I shouldn't call it nonsense. I don't know how. I just it feels he, he, for me, and I know he's written this way, but I can't help but think he's such a pussy. You know, like he there is there is. There, there are so many ways to handle, uh, and then again, it's the times, right? So, but he's a he's a funny character to me because he still loves his wife, or his ex-wife, right? Because they eventually get divorced, he still loves her.
1: Edgar, you're getting further down the line. Am I here. am I,
0: I way into second season then?
1: yet? It's their own fault. It's been <laughs> out for a Catch yeah. up.
0: Yeah, exactly. But like he he they you know, she leaves you know, they they separate. He still loves her, but he can't deal with the fact that she's funnier than him, you know? And and she's going to she's actually not only going to possibly at least in the beginning season, he sees that she has talent, right? She's got talent and he doesn't and it and it's killing him. And he he can't stay because of it, and that's that's the part I don't get. Like I understand it's, to me at least, it's very kind of really realistically written, you know. Like this is this is a character flaw that I really could see in in a, in a yeah. human person. But you know, <laughs> but if this guy was alive, I would be do I will tell him, dude, just get over yourself. You get know? over if, it. Yeah, she's talented. You, you want to, you know, he he wants to support her. That doesn't mean that you have to leave her, you know? But I, I think the other thing, too, is he's got other urges that he wants to kind of live.
1: Yeah. So I, I mean, I do appreciate the fact that, I mean, he does, as soon as he sees her perform accidentally, I. I really do appreciate that he goes out and he kind of gets in a like a little bit of a fight with the guy who was heckling her, mm-hmm. and says she's good, she's really good, and yeah. he walks away and he's sad about it. But at least he recognizes it because there are men who flat out. I I will be quite honest. I had a boyfriend in my twenties who basically wanted to get into stand up comedy. He wasn't that kind of funny. He mm-hmm. was funny and long-winded story kind of ways, but he wasn't a writer. He couldn't write his own stuff. Mm-hmm. And I supported him. And then I would talk with his friends during, before, after his set, and they'd be like, You're actually kind of funnier than him, too. <laughs> like, Have you tried this yet? Yeah, and yeah. I was like, Oh, God, you know, I've been in acting and this and that, but I know that's, like, so scary. Mm. And they're like, Why don't you just give it a shot? And he was just so offended that the attention was taken away from him for five seconds. And that, again, when he would bomb or like just not hit certain jokes, it was almost like it was my fault and I had nothing to do with it. And here I was supporting this person for their like dream. He, he was a model and an actor and he wanted to get into comedy. And it was like, dude, you're good at the modeling and the acting. Maybe you just need to stick to that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just don't open your mouth. Just look pretty.
1: <laughs> and, and, you know, here's the thing. I, I would give him feedback and whatnot when he asked for it, but I didn't try to stamp, like, very much the way Mrs. Maisel does, right? She's got this book of ideas, and she's yes. giving him feedback and constructive criticism, and she's super engaged in that. And then it really, what really got to me is... It hit a nerve when he said something like, "Well, that's my book; those are my ideas," and it's like, serious? "Oh no, how no?" Because you remember he kind of suggested this is like on the show, not my real personal. Yeah, life.
0: yeah no, 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 no. Yeah, I'm trying to remember where remember, that happened. Like, he
1: basically was angry that like she had kept the book. Like he's like, "I want the book back," and she's uh-huh. like, "Oh, I don't know where it is. It's her book. and it, It's it is her book." Her, I mean, writing and her helping him and he wants the book back oh that that part got me really bad
0: (laughs) it's it's you know there's a couple things I want to um you kind of like uh hit there for me like one one thing about this show is you know like every show is written for someone you know to to a certain extent there is an audience for that and they want the, the, the the characters to kind of relate to people so um as I get older I relate less to It's happening like,
1: every second, Edgar. Right now it's happening
0: right now. I am getting grayer as we're speaking. <laughs> but um, as as the <laughs> as the show goes on, as as I get older, the 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 people I identify with on these uh, on shows are are older and older, which is, you know, fine, you know. But it's funny because there would have been a time where maybe I would have identified with the uh, with the Joel character, right? Um I identify with the father so much in this show.
1: Tony Yes.
0: Love that guy. He is so good. And he's he just is like.
1: He good at everything he does. Everything. Yeah.
0: He, yeah. And then the the whole, just the conversations, the, like the way the dialogue is written, it's just so fun, you know? And, um, but yeah, like everything that guy goes through, I, I, like, I, I'm like, man, yeah. You know, like I sit there and I can feel the knot in his stomach, you know, because he's worried about his daughter, you know? And, as, uh, and it, I, I really like to hear that you, especially you, uh, feel like you identify with the Maisel character. Because, um, especially with the story you just told me where the guy kind of, because at least I feel like, okay, this does have some kind of, um, it does have a foot in reality. Because sometimes... You know, you hear these people talk, or you see these things happen, and you know that these characters didn't really actually exist; that they're based on several different characters. Like all these people are collages of people that actually existed at one point, except for the Lenny Bruce character. He was actually somebody. He was actually a oh, comedian. I,
1: I, love, and I love that aspect of it because they kind of just ran with that. And Lenny Bruce has been um, dead for many years, and mm. I I was really excited to see what they did with that character too. That dude looks like Lenny Bruce too. Have you seen pictures? So, yeah. Yeah. And he's and not only that, but he's got good timing, and he's and he's got that charm that Lenny Bruce had—that awkward charm and weirdness—and yes. there's something so strange about him. And I just think that the casting of the show is a huge thing, right? The writing is like top-notch, but the mm. casting also has to match that, and they have to be actors that can carry that dialogue because it's not easy dialogue to do. It's simply not.
0: No, it it's not. It's. they're they're long pieces of dialogue it's a lot to remember and and they're just kind of somersaulting with with inflection and and intention and all that stuff that they're throwing out there and it's just man when um somebody i was at a cookout a friend of mine said you know oh you should check this show out and i'm like man i heard a lot of good things and you know my wife and i were looking for a show to watch together and we put that on and we couldn't stop watching we we binged the first
1: i need i need to stop you here though i need to ask you a question so i find it really interesting that first of all you fo- found a connection through the father character mm-hmm. which you and i when we've talked personally before i've noticed you mentioned that a lot obviously when you're a dad you start looking at things differently and through the eyes of your child or your daughter from their mm-hmm. perspective but I think it's really interesting that you hit on this show because yes, it's a wonderful show and lots of people like talk about it, but like at a first glance, it's like a Jewish rich girl in New yeah. York. and It might not like appeal to lots of people. So what made you say like what that your friend told you or what about the show made you go, Oh, we'll actually give this one a shot. Did you read reviews? What did you do? I've, I've,
0: I've only, you know, because you know, you see it in your social streams. I hear a lot about it, and every time you turn on Amazon, you see the, you know, hundred stars that the show has, and you know, Emmy, you know, et cetera.
1: And they heavily push it on on Amazon for sure.
0: Yeah, and um, but my friend kept telling me at the cookout. He said that the that it is hilarious. He didn't tell me much, but he said you're gonna love it. It's hilarious, and I'm like, Oh, you know, is it gonna be like? You know, is it going to be kind of like you know, a little too femme for me, or you know, he's like, no, dude, you're going to love it. And I'm like, all right, you know, I'll check it out. You know, because it says Mrs. Maisel, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And uh, oh,
1: you know, the other girl in the pink, and it's like it's it looks like it's almost if you didn't know what it was about, it looks like it's geared at maybe teenage
0: girls. Well, I I thought it would just be more like a soap opera, a little bit more of a soap opera. And and I thought it, you know, my my wife would like it, but I probably wouldn't, you know. Uh, it is not that. I mean, it's got a little soap opera kind of quality to it in terms of all the kind of crazy stuff that happens. Uh, but nobody's coming back from the dead and, you know, you don't have the long-lost No one has brother. seven evil twins. Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, what would seven people be? I'm not going to do the math on that. It wouldn't be a twin. It would be a... I'm not good at math, Edgar. I can't come up with that term. <laughs> I don't know. But, but uh, it's, it's definitely one of those shows where, you know there's no problem finding it right word of mouth and in terms of how it's been pushed at you so at the end of the day who ended up liking the show more you or your wife
0: that's a good question because I really like the show I really like the show and uh people said that um uh, you know you know honestly one of I think the first place I heard it heard of it was on the Joe Rogan podcast like he talked about how much he liked it and so I was like, "Oh, okay."
1: Well, I didn't listen to that episode, so I didn't even know that he w- that was on his radar. So that's good to know too.
0: Yeah. So like, um, yeah, he he just he commented on the fact that it's got a, like a real flavor in terms of what the comedy world is like, you know. But um, but man, when she in that first episode when she shows up in her her nightgown and she's just cussing up a storm, uh, I was like wow, you know, it, it's, it, it was great. And the next thing you know, my wife and I blew through the first season, no problem. And, um,
1: Well, I think that's when you realize that this is the one we're expecting when she starts cussing and she kind of unloads her life in this like very strange place that she's familiar with the gaslight, obviously, because of her husband performing there, but this is the first time she's performing, but she doesn't know she's performing. She's really kind of having a weird come-to-life realization. Not a nervous breakdown by any means. Although, she does flash the audience. Oh, and yes. I think that, and the fact that they actually show her topless, I think for me, that was when I was like, oh, this is not the kind of show I thought it was at all.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's funny too, because I was like, whoa. Um, it, the other thing too that I didn't realize is that something like that could get you arrested. I was just like, really? She's just flashing people, I mean.
1: Public indecency, I mean, I and here, guess, like, meanwhile, guys can go for runs without shirts off, guys yeah. who maybe should not be because it looks like there's a rug on their chest area <laughs> that's ripping sweat, but women walking around without a shirt on, it's still obviously not an accepted practice, so in the 50s, to do that mid, you know, mid- performance if you will um definitely unexpected
0: yeah for sure um but but i guess lenny bruce was already in the scott squad car when she got arrested so she shows up he's in the squad car but he got he got arrested for just kind of like i guess either swearing or uh talking about things that are kind of unaccepted at the time it's just Stop ideas. It probably, like, really, you know, dude, you know, topics. Lenny
1: was out there. The real Lenny was really out there for the times. Like, yeah. these days, it would be, like, nothing at all. But back then, that was a whole different, you know, it was not the type of comedy that people were used to. Remind me of um, Bob Newhart. That was the act that her husband stole, right? Was it for Bob Newhart?
0: Boyfriend? Was it Bob I Newhart? I think it
1: was. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the type of comedy that was popular. Lenny Bruce is like, whoa, it's like comparing Shakespeare with Hunter S. Thompson. Although to be fair, Shakespeare had plenty of weird stuff going on too. But I think that Lenny Bruce was the the right guy to put in that position to kind of not mentor her in a way, but I guess he kind of does and he supports her, right? Yeah. I don't know. I can't.
0: I don't know what Lenny Bruce would be to her because he's not exactly – he's not completely a mentor, right? He's just kind of – he's kind of like a guy who shows up every now and then and is like, oh, you don't go this way, you go that way, you know? And that's about it. But he doesn't, like, really show the ropes and stuff like that. If anybody is that, it's uh, the Susie character played by Alex Borstein. Yeah. um, Who I also just kind of love. Did you know she was the voice of – uh, one of the voice uh God, what's the name of the woman in in um,
1: family Guy?
0: in family guy oh, yeah. lois she was oh. lois she's lois
1: I am I am very familiar with Alex Bornstein and I have loved her and she actually had a tiny role I think in maybe a handful of episodes of Gilmore Girls, but it was very small. But mm-hmm. what's really cool about Amy Sherman Palladino is she does kind of use some of the same actors in weird places, but not her main cast, obviously, mm-hmm. not the main cast members. But um, in Alex's case, she had a very small part on that. And now, I mean, she, oh my gosh, there's a scene, and honestly, forgive me, I can't remember if it's season one or two, but she's lying in the a bathtub at... Um, Mrs. Maisel's Midge's house, Yes. and Midge busts in, and she's got all these questions about what she's been telling people, and Alex Bordese's character is like, you need to slow down. I'm really high right now. (laughs) (laughs) I just, her timing, and just, she gets all these great lines, and honestly, even if you're not given a good line as an actor, you can make a line work. For your own purposes. And Alex Bornstein nails everything she does. And when she's supposed to be giving other people the, you know, the spotlight for a moment, she knows when to stand back. So that's what's so cool about her as an actress. You see,
0: I I wouldn't I, I don't have that that skill set, so I wouldn't be able to tell. Uh, but I, I love her in every in every single scene she comes out. I can't wait to see her. Jump on this scene because I can't wait for her to say something just crazy, mean, or or rude or disgusting. You know, she's just hilarious. She's got she's got some of the best lines uh, in in the show. Um, but uh, you
1: didn't watch uh, any awards that were on this past. Weekend.
0: No, I did not. But uh, Mrs. Mazel picked up a few.
1: Actually, no. So, um, they were nominated for a bunch, and uh, Schitt's Creek totally swept everything, um, including the actress from that show, who I really... I love Schitt's Creek. If you've not seen it, check it out. But there's... The actress that won, I just... She beat out Alex in that category and Alex was the favorite to win. And I just feel like they were just giving everything to Shits Creek and they were like, let's add this on top of the pile, because that actress has is not in the same realm of Alex Bornstein, in my opinion. So
0: Yeah, I I, I just I think she's great. I just think and there's a weird kind of lesbian kind of uh chemistry, or at least out you know, that Susie has for Maisel. Right, I'm trying to put my finger on it. I'm like, she's obviously lesbian, right? But is she not? I mean, every now and then I have to like question it. Like,
1: I know, and there's some funny scenes where, uh, you know, like Tony Shaloub's character calls uh, Alex Bornstein's character a um, a he, a man, And then yeah. later on, he go, you know, Mrs. Mazel smidge says something, and she says well, you know, like, it's a she. And he goes, I know, it's a, I know it's a she, but he calls her a he because of how she <laughs> does it. Yeah. And I love that he's like, no, no, no. You don't need to clarify that she's a woman. I know she's a woman. It's just I called her a he. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's there's lots of stuff that I, like you mentioned, that people can find wrong with everything, right? Like, people are always going to dissect everything and find something wrong with something. But this show just celebrates uniqueness and people being funny in different ways. And... Also, in what world would Midge have ever met Alex's character otherwise? Like, there's no way these two would have ever really crossed paths except for the Gaslight, which I really just want to quickly mention, especially living in Chicago right now and not having access to, you know, indoor involving, like, activities. Like, obviously, we're being told to stay outside and stay at home. Um, I love Hole in the Wall bars, and the Gaslight Cafe is a real location in New York. So it's in the village, it's a coffee house. People like the beat poets like Ginsburg performed there, even like, I think, Jimi Hendrix. And it's been on Mad Men as well. So this is like a famous place um, or location. And there's something really just so cool about the idea that people from all different backgrounds can show up at a comedy night and or even just like a bar or restaurant, and there's so many stories there, right? There's stories in the whole room, but unless somebody gets up on the stage and tells it and maybe flashes some people in the meantime, <laughs> uh, you don't know their stories, like so many people just sit and back and watch, and they're you know they're pay their five bucks and buy their first drink or whatever, but there's so many great differences to be celebrated there, like Again, in society, Midge would never have met someone who, you know, was a worker at the gaslight, right?
0: Yeah. And their dynamic is interesting. Cause I mean, like you said, she's all pink and, and girly and, and very feminine. And Alex Borstein's character is not that. You know, she is I mean, she gets she taken like for. She works
1: on the railroad half the time. And she does. <laughs> she does. She
0: really does. Um and but like uh, Joel is also another person that calls her a he in the beginning too. He calls mm. you know he calls her a he a few times. So it's not. I don't know. A, Okay. Yeah, it's it's not just uh, it's 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 like everyone everyone pretty much mistakes. It's an
1: ongoing joke, right? Yeah. We're just calling but obviously it's a woman and um you know because in the 50s too women like when um there's scenes in season two where Midge is in Paris and she comments right away on some woman's hat and how fabulous it is women in the 50s it's all about you know again the makeup counter and the looking perfect and even if you are a woman who's working and who is funny it's still a very big focus for a lot of women on what you look like and wearing the pinks and the bright colors and the cute dresses. And Alex Bornstein's character is like, yeah, I don't want any part of that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, even her, even her like, uh, apartment says that, but, oh, no
1: a nightmare
0: <laughs> it's a closet it's a closet under the stairs and some some run-down apartment building but it's an interesting thing that you said that about uh midge's character or just like the women in the 50s uh because early in the in the first episode and the reason i bring up the first episode is because i remember it very clearly i just i just saw it last night i saw episode one and two over again and uh you know it's it's crazy because I mean, and this kind of thing still goes on today, right? I mean, not to this extent, but she she would go to bed, right? And her husband knocks out, and then she gets up, right? And I'm like, how did you get up? Were you ever asleep, or did you just make yourself get up somehow? And she would get up and take off all her stuff, take off her eyelashes, take take off all the makeup, put on put on like the, the night stuff. I don't know what it's called. I, I the know these days it's
1: serum back then it would be like a cream
0: <laughs> yes Ooh, the white stuff on her face where she looked like a ghost <laughs> she put that on she put on the curls and she would go to bed and then wake up before him and then put all the stuff back on put on the lashes put on the makeup put you know pull out the curls and and, and look at the woman to begin with looks spectacular she's a beautiful you know beautiful girl <laughs> But then, like, she goes back to bed and then pretends that she was asleep. And I'm like, holy shit, she's acting this whole time, you know, and I think...
1: Edgar, I've got, Edgar, I've got some news for you, though. Lots of women have done some version of that in their lives. Probably not with their husband mm-hmm. in this day and age. But certainly the first time sleeping at a boyfriend's house, worried about what your breast smells like in the morning, or is he going to see my zit, or not speaking from experience, because I don't break out, but but I wake up with like a mohawk, Uh so I'm not really done it to that extent, but I've mm-hmm. definitely like gone and brushed my teeth and flopped my hair a bit and like poofed it up and then laid back down and been like, oh, I'm just waking up. So it's, it, it can happen today. <laughs> and I, I'm, I, I, relationship people don't know what you look like but the idea of a what of a husband not knowing what his wife looks like in the morning that's messed up because they're at that point they're together for about four years married yeah
0: exactly yes yeah. It, it, it so dating was...
1: for at least a couple years i assume
0: yeah and she's been doing this this whole time looking just waking up like she looks like a goddamn princess you know it's just <sighs> wow, you know, and the, the, the sad part about this is that that kind of stuff doesn't stop. I know my wife does things that I am not aware of, because every now and then you know, I, I get to I get to look under the, the tablecloth on the table and realize, oh you've been doing this this whole time, and I haven't noticed and, and then <laughs> there's you know, you, you get all the, the guilt and all that stuff, but I just like, wow, you know it, and I hope I hope, which makes me now that I when I get done with this podcast, I'm going to tell my wife how much I love her.
1: <laughs> you should be doing that anyway. She's been,
0: yeah, I, I do, but you know, it's just like there's all these little things that women do that men are completely, completely oblivious to, and they have no idea, and and uh, and we 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 keep, we don't even know that it, it's happening to take it for granted, you know. Uh, I'm always
1: amazed at like just the simple things like the skincare or makeup. I I, I absolutely think it's a little false to lead people down a certain path. Plus, what if one day Midge fell asleep and didn't wake up and he saw her for the first time, which again, she's beautiful, but you know, with none of this, you know, all done up business. And would he be like, oh my gosh, you know, girls are, women are very afraid of that idea of men seeing them as themselves, which to me, if you're going to be with someone for the rest of your life, or that's the plan, I I mean, you should be sharing these things, you know, it shouldn't be embarrassing to have someone see you without mascara. It's kind of ridiculous, but society certainly puts a certain amount of importance on what you look like And the fifties are a great example of that
0: yeah it's um it's a it's re- it's i think oh, the tapestry of the time too is is just kind of really interesting because it's not just oh look at this you know look at this scene they put you put cars here that are from the time no it's it's like everything everything it's the, the, the really way people immersive. yeah it's really immersive the way the people act the way people talk all that stuff especially like the fast pace that that uh um, midge talks i'm like i bet that's how they talked back then like, well
1: have you ever seen movies from the 20s or 30s or 40s there's a really great movie that i would recommend to you from i believe the early 40s called the philadelphia story mm. and it's with um carrie grant katherine hepburn and jimmy stewart and oh, wow. Yeah, big people. You need to watch this movie. It is entertaining as all heck. Uh, Catherine Hepburn is kind of the woman at the center of the whole story and it's just like bada boom, bada boom, bada boom, bada boom, bada boom. The talking is just so fast paced and quick and witty. And this is where shows, granted, it's a different time. This is in the late 50s, but where I think they get a lot of their inspiration for the way people talked. Um, And I just love that. I love that everyone in those films back then talked that way. And these days, so many films are so slow paced. I'm like, get to it already, Jesus! Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do love a good burning drama, right? Where it's yeah. quiet and you're waiting for the next thing to happen. But when imagine like, I think now it's very different. In this day and age, writers are being celebrated with awards. They are being publicly admired. In the past, it was always the actors, and it's like who do you think put the words in these people's mouths? It's the writers who don't get any recognition at all. And, you know, writing a script for a movie that has, you know, four scenes of dialogue in it is very different than doing a series where it's constantly go, go, go for every character involved.
0: Yeah, I think especially now with with just, like, the ability to be able to binge stuff, right? You know, before we're, you know you miss an episode you don't know what's going on right because I mean it just aired on TV and you would have to at best maybe wait for a rerun um, now not only can you see the show over and over again but you can see every single episode depending on the you know on the series or and streaming uh, service you can see the whole show in one foul swoop now I just uh, I uh, and the ability kind of like to be able to like tell a story and really get immersed. And, but not only that, but keep the people interested so they keep coming back or clicking for the next episode. That is, that, that is, first of all, it's it's a little scary, you know, because now they're kind of making you addicted to the show or whatever, but that but aside.
1: It's to them too. How do they make that happen? Yeah. It's a lot of
0: it's a lot of work, it's a lot of talent it's 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 just good stuff i um i I, I think um oh, but here let's um let's talk about um one of the things in the show. Uh, as the show goes on to the end of season one, it kind of crescendos, right? and it happens uh, right at the end, they have that big dinner, right mm-hmm. and just every the wheels fall off right everybody starts there's arguing uh the, the you know there's secrets being told um it's all out on the table midge is you know trying to be a comedian people don't understand it they're all fighting and it's this is grand thing meanwhile there's all these people But well, wait at this
1: point at this point her husband is the only one who knows she's doing it right
0: I believe so yes well yeah, no her father knows too her father knows, too, and he, he he tells her, don't tell your mother. You know, I'm going to oh, pretend. Oh,
1: dude, I heard you just got into season two category here. No that's,
0: that's, no, that's season one, no?
1: Oh, man, you're messing me up. Are you sure? I don't, think he, I don't think her dad finds out till later. At the end of season one, there's the birthday party for Ethan, the son. It's not and the... Then,
0: and then
1: the parents go to France and come back. He still doesn't know. And then they go up to the Catskills and he sees her while she's performing there. He's sitting you're alone right. at a You're table.
0: right, you're right, he's you're alone right. At a t- he's
1: alone at a table when that happens. And she realizes her dad is there and she keeps performing and she's talking about her parents' sex life. And it's like, oh girl, you just buried yourself deeper and deeper.
0: <laughs> you know, I think, I think when that happens and you already got your foot you know, all yeah. in the poo. And I, I can't help but say poo sometimes. It's just, it's I okay. have kids. I, you. I have kids. Sometimes it just comes out, and I'm a, an adult that says poo. It, it's I forgive
1: a little you embarrassing. for using. <laughs>
0: forgive <laughs> <to> you <laughs> but uh yeah you,
1: you my, step, skin, my skin just cringed I just cringed all over but uh, I'll get over it I'm sorry
0: uh, <laughs> so you, you step in the shit and and you might as well just just own it at that point right just keep stepping in it because uh you you're not gonna get you, you're not gonna get it off at that point you just you might well, as well she finished.
1: was paid for that gig right that was yeah. a big gig for her in the Catskills and she couldn't just go oh my dad's here now I have to get off the stage she just yeah. turned it up
0: I guess you (laughs) you have to at that point, but yeah, you're right. I jumped into season two. I didn't mean to. So then, what happened at the end of season one?
1: but, But what about talk a little bit more about like the scene when they're having the dinner and it's all kind of falling apart in season one.
0: In season one, okay, you're gonna have to remind me, because now I don't remember.
1: I think I took you down the wrong path there, because uh, then you were remembering later in season two. Season one basically ends with, like, the marriage is kind of crumbling. There's, you know, the birthday party where Ethan, um, is this the son? Ethan has a birthday Mm -hmm. party, and Joel comes to the party, and the families come together, even though they all know things are kind of crazy. Um, I'll be honest, like, It wasn't like anything so crazy happened in that episode that Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my God, season two, I have to watch. But it's so compelling because you want to know where her journey takes her. So you do watch season two because you're like, "Okay, well, does she become famous? Does she get it on with Lenny Bruce? Like there's so many questions I have.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely that feel right? that she, she might she might get with Lenny Bruce. Which, uh,
1: They've got like a little bit of a flirtation, but like you mentioned earlier, it's not like uh, he's guiding her through this process. He's kind of just there. He sees her talent, and he's kind of a buddy in that world of comedy, so to speak. A good buddy to have, too.
0: Yeah. I just, I wonder what Lenny Bruce is supposed to represent for her. Is it, it's not so much that maybe she's attracted to Lenny Bruce as much as she's attracted to the life you know lenny bruce maybe yes. yeah maybe what lenny bruce represents for her is is being a successful comedian you know um he
1: sees his talent, and although they have different forms of comedy i think she knows that he's not a good uh not a bad person to have like at her side so to speak um obviously he helps her out a couple times she helps him out bails him out of jail um i think once she does him a solid he turns his head a bit and says who is this girl and why is she helping me and then he realizes oh shit this girl's funny
0: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: oh.
0: i'm trying to remember what else happened in the first season there was something something i wanted to mention that was really Wait,
1: big. Find, i'm gonna pull up the actual episode list um because I think we were a bit confused on how it ends. And I'll be honest, I dipped into season two and I'm like nearly finished it. So naturally, it's, your, it's easy to get a bit like discombobulated. A little,
0: yeah, a little lost. Okay, so
1: the last episode of season one, which has a 9.1 rating out of 10 on IMDb, <laughs> is called Thank You and Goodnight. And, oh, so it's after... Um, Midge kind of takes down Jane Lynch's character. So Jane Lynch plays oh. the woman who wears the fat suit, but actually yes. is improper and invites Midge over to her house and basically Midge exposes a comedian which is a big old no-no in the world of comedy um so basically Midge and Susie are kind of dealing with that and not being able to get bookings and then um Ethan's birthday party the kid's birthday party is when Midge and Joel reunite at the end of that episode um so again it's not really a crazy crazy episode but it really makes you go I want to know how these things happen. I want to know if she gets back into it. Because it's very possible that if this was a real-life situation, she could have been like, this isn't worth it. This is too much drama. I'm out. But as you know, she keeps going.
0: Yeah, well, there was a moment, and this is what I wanted to mention. There was a moment where she kind of like, she like, she basically ate shit on the uh, on the stage. She, she just bombed so bad. And then it kind of like took her out of it. And she started... Doing these weird little kind of impromptu comedy acts at parties,
1: at part just being the funny woman at a party with another person, and yeah,
0: and that was really bizarre. Like I, but I was... this
1: one is one of this aspect, Edgar. I'm a person who I like to be funny at parties. I don't like consider it a gig. I don't prepare. I just talk, but. Mm-hmm. She really was aching for that opportunity so she was using it as a testing ground but then of course you know Susie um Alex Bornstein's character basically says honey that ain't stand-up like that's yeah. not what it is you're entertaining a bunch of people who you know enough to know what they'll like this isn't like going in front of a room of people you don't know and making them laugh that's yeah. just like a comedian who can com- consistently performs at a comfortable place there where they know the clientele, honey, that ain't it. You need to perform at the Apollo. You need to perform at a place where you don't know anybody and test out your material. That's how it works. Because if everybody wanted to do it, it would be super easy. If my only audience was, you know, my family. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No. And, and one of the things Susie said to her is, it's like, you're just the weird lady at the, at the, at the cocktail party or whatever. And I was just like, "What?" I was just like you know, and but the whole feeling was weird too, because it felt a little a little pathetic, I guess. It like
1: place, almost. Yeah, I, I mean, a little uh, sorts.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean great storytelling. Uh, mm-hmm. n- not out of place in terms of what's going on, not but in just kind of the show. yeah, but just in terms of her development as uh, as a you know as she becomes a comedian. So like that part of it was weird, and I was just like, what happened, you know? So it was great that Susie was there to kind of pull her back. If anything, Susie is 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 the one that's kind of like really kind of guiding her down the path and saying, this is how you do this. This is she's the mentor and the the parental figure, you know, in this in her comedian kind of as she becomes a comedian. And
1: even though Susie might walk around in season two with a plunger and all these crazy things, <laughs> and, and dress like she works on the railroad, she knows this business more than Midge does. And Midge yeah. then has to take that advice because performing at elite parties with a champagne glass in your hand, that is not what the ultimate goal is, right? Susie wants to book her and make her a real comedian. Yeah.
0: Yeah, she's... and And it's funny because... You know, they do the whole, okay, she's doing a bit and cut away from the bit. You know, you don't get to hear the whole thing, but they do kind of let you hear some of her act. And I'm like, who is writing this stuff? This stuff is good. Like a lot of it is pretty damn funny, you know? Um,
1: I mean, I I could say the same for like, um, so I know that Amy Sherman Palladino and her husband both write episodes. I think there may be other writers. I would have to check. There are. Just like, okay, but just like on Gilmore Girls, like, a lot of the stuff is, you know, there's not that aspect of um, a comedian in a comedy club, but some of the lines, it's like, wow, if this was someone performing this, they would be famous, but they're just a character on a TV show, and it's just a testament to, like, the talent of this writing style and this couple and amy specifically has chosen just to go the route of television instead of becoming a stand-up herself i guess because she could obviously do it i i think she's capable of it
0: yeah that that's the other thing too some of these people that do the writing at one point or another if they're a comedic writer sometimes they've been comedian on stage themselves And uh, I
1: would hope that they would reference, obviously, they had to do their research as they obviously have done to how this like culture works. Writers in comedy are often in that world or know people in that world. So I think they're just reflecting that and their own experiences, because at the end of the day, you can't write a show or a book about something you don't know about. You have to write about what you know, and that's why it's good.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Life experience is a big part of things. Like, I'm not about to go write a book about dinosaurs because, I mean, <laughs> the extent of what I know is from Jurassic Park and reading books about dinosaurs as a kid. So I don't think I'm qualified. <laughs> but I could write a book about lots of other topics because I've lived them. You know what I mean? It's as simple as that. And I think that the best part about this show is that it feels real. It feels legit. It doesn't ever, I'm never questioning it from the aspect of, oh, that's not right for the time. And if you want to question why a woman is not watching her kids, well, first of all, yes, there's the gender role thing. So let's consider that. Like, let's not shit all over a lady who's not taking care of her kids 24 7. Also, these people had money. Yeah. And it was just normal back then. If you had money in this, like, 18 room, like, condo, essentially, on the Upper West Side, you're not taking care of your own kids, like, 24-7. That's not happening. It's it's almost akin to being the Queen of England, where they come in once a day and you go, hello, off to you, goodbye, kiss you on the cheek, it's been a nice day, did you play today? That's essentially what the Queen did. Yeah. And this is essentially what people in New York did in the 50s. Like, it's, and to question it is a little bizarre to me, because it's just... It's, I feel like most of what I've seen on this show is pretty accurate for the times and just mm. for the type of people that they are showing.
0: Absolutely. I think, uh, I mean, that kind of stuff, people with money, I mean, they don't raise their kids now. I mean, that, that stuff is happening right now.
1: In 20 okay, 20- there is somebody who sees their kid once a day easily mm-hmm. for five or ten minutes easily.
0: Yeah, yeah. They not only not only do the kids get watched if they have money, that kid's also learning a different language. It's probably Spanish or Portuguese or Lord Lord knows what else.
1: Well- and I can tell you from experience of, well, not experience, I have been a nanny, but I had a friend who was a nanny and she was so close with her charge, so to speak, that the little boy called her mom and called his mom by her first name. Ooh. And this was not like, like 2015, friend. So this is still going on today.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can you
1: imagine your kid? and then And then what's your reaction to that? Like as a mother, I would have to question oh my gosh, like, my child just called me Emily and called the nanny mom. I need to change the way that I'm doing things. But a lot of these parents just brush it off and it's just another day.
0: There are some people, like, I know someone who 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 really likes to travel. She's gonna, she's, like, engaged to someone that, you know, these are people, you know, friends on, online. I'm not gonna give any names. They're not, they're not really friends. But anyway, like, these people... <laughs> The this, the the one the woman in the relationship, she she wants to have kids, and uh, I don't know how she plans to have them because she doesn't seem to want to have them to begin with. But there there the way she's acting about the whole kids scenario is like they're an accessory to her life, because she still wants to travel, she wants to own a big house, but she doesn't want to watch the kids. She says she wants to drop the kids off at, at one of my other friends' house and let. Let them watch the kids. And they're like, fucker, like, what do you think? What do you think this is? You know, like, just because I have kids of my own doesn't mean I want to take care of your kids, you know? But I mean, that this kind of train of thought or this kind of life and stuff, and, and no judgment. I mean, but that woman's not a millionaire. So, but I mean, people want, want that freedom, right? Want to have the kids and kind of do whatever the hell they want.
1: And if you are lucky enough to be in that situation where you can, you know, cart, like, here's my whole thing with that. And I know we're getting a bit off topic, but talking about just being a woman in 2020, I'm a person who I would never put the responsibility of my kids on my mom or someone else, which is why I don't have any, because I'm not married. I'm single. And my mom has always said, I would help you. And I'm like, mom, you're of a certain age, you've already raised two kids on your own because my dad passed away when we were little. Mm -hmm. I would never put the burden of you to be like, hey, I popped out a kid. Now here, can you take care of it five days a week? I understand that certain families have that family that are eager to do that and willing. Just from a personal standpoint, I don't feel comfortable putting it on someone else, but Certain people have the luxury of not just having care within their family, but to be rich enough where you can have a full time nanny or send a kid mm-hmm. off to boarding school. This still happens. Yeah. And I personally just feel like if you're going to have a kid, you should be spending some time with them. And, and they should <laughs> be a person in your life. You know, they shouldn't be the shiny new bag you picked up at Macy's. Yeah. It should something that you do it and you know keeping in mind that women should be allowed to work and have all these other things in their life and their own things but you shouldn't be having a kid because you want a mini me and i i know people personally where i feel like they just wanted a cuter smaller version of themselves and don't get me wrong so would i yeah. but it involves being pregnant and taking care of a child for 18 to 20 something years and i'm just not on board with that right now yeah. and and people need to understand that children are not there for your vanity they are people that need to be taken care of mentally physically psychologically and it's a big job it's a big job
0: it's a big job uh, but like and, and on the other side of the coin I see like I'm just talking about this particular woman because she's I think she she doesn't know what reality is she lives in this world but she kind of doesn't you know uh, I'm sure out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's like, I'm like, I'm like. Are you sure you're here on planet Earth, or are you someplace <laughs> else? Because the physics, they don't, they don't work like that. But oh, like, it's
1: called planet me, by the way, planet me. <laughs> planet planet. I matter, and nothing else matters.
0: Pretty much, pretty much. I, I think, I think that's and and when you approach kids with that attitude, I think that's that's where we fall into problems, right? But I mean, if you were a single mom, you're going to need your mom there's no way you're gonna be able to raise that kid by yourself. And even but if that's, you had-
1: that's why I chosen not to, you see what I'm saying? Like yeah, if I agreed. was married, if I was married, which is the ideal to me, like mm-hmm. one parent, can completely raise children there's nothing wrong with that but for me personally I would like a partner to do that with me Mm -hmm. and so I would not have to lean on other people I would have a teammate yeah whereas so many people have kids or tell me oh well your mom will just take care of him or her or oh you can find someone to do this or that and I'm like but that's not how I would roll and I have to build into my head the expense of childcare and babysitters and part-time nannies because I personally would not feel comfortable dumping a kid on my mom it's Even yeah. if she said it was okay, it's just not my style. Just not yeah. my
0: style. Yeah. But, like, at least in the case of Mrs. Maisel, it didn't work. It didn't start like that. That was never yeah. the intention, to be by herself. She was trying to live the the life. She wanted, you know, she wanted the the fancy apartment and, you know, New York and the, the kids and the husband and, and just... And
1: I love when they show that in those early episodes of her, like, taking out the food and making sure it's ready right away, in yeah. addition to kind of, like, doing some of her own things for herself. But she still has to put up this act of the perfect 1950s wife. Yeah, and, and, and she, was, she was all
0: about that. She was all yeah. in on that. She, she wanted that life. And, and then when it all fell apart, she had to not only find a new dream for herself, but also she had to she had to f- figure out a way so that she can sustain her herself all, you know along with her kids you know like she, she emotionally doesn't know,
1: fin- yeah
0: emotionally financially like she doesn't know whether or not Joel is gonna be able to like give her money you know he says he will, but you don't know how long that's gonna last you know so she uh, we all find- know how
1: that went too that yeah. uh Sometimes couples don't share things that, um, especially back then when the parents were so involved monetarily and just day-to-day have their noses in people's business. And I'm not Jewish, but I do know Jewish mothers and they are very involved in people's lives. Ooh. So that was all realistic. And also, again, at no fault of her own, was she alone, right? Joel is the one that screwed things up, not her. And then yeah. he tries to to turn it around later and kind of blame her for not getting back together and it's like dude you're the one that cheated on me like what are you even talking
0: about yeah, yeah he i mean yeah whether and she, and even at one point she still kind of wanted him back she still was willing to kind of try to make it work and but it, it wasn't going to ever you know it just wasn't
1: ever it already going to kind work. Of passed that point of no return i feel like even though Yes, she wants the father of the kids to be in the picture and she still loves him very much. And again, she's not the one who perpetuated them not being together. Yeah. But at the same time, she finds this kind of new path and she kind of likes what she sees on it.
0: Yeah, and, and, and again, I think the biggest problem I have with Joel as a character is just the his inability to accept her, her talent and her possible, like, path to success like you can see it you know she's going to be great and you can't be around for that like what's wrong with
1: you and the way he keeps perpetuating those ideas of like the 1950s perfection where he's trying to pay for stuff and hey look i can get you this apartment and i can do this for you Mm -hmm. not accepting the fact that maybe she can do some things by herself and she can't
0: yeah 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 there was that There was a big part. I was that. that, I think that was also in season two, right? Where he, which part? um, Where he buys the apartment, or he tries to get her an apartment, and he's like, and she's like, you know, Midge is like, I don't want this. You know, you didn't even ask me. You're gonna, you're gonna put me here. Like that's not what I want. You know. And again,
1: it was nothing wrong. She liked the apartment. It was mm -hmm. pretty. It was all about the idea of where was my choice in this matter, and I need to be part of these decisions because. She's now looking at life from the lens of I'm a single mother, you know, and I need to be part of this. I can't just have you do things for me, especially Mm -hmm. if you're not going to be my husband anymore.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. And then not only that, but she's, she's got a job, right? She's, she's got a job. She's basically got a job where she's trying to get promoted, right? She's trying to, to climb the ladder so that she can make enough where, where the money she brings in, matters for herself and her her kids so uh he didn't even take that into consideration i don't i don't remember if he did and it's just he just did the thing right you can't you can't do that you know i can't i can't i can't even buy a bucket of paint without talking
1: i'm
0: sorry
1: (laughs) that's so funny She's smart. I mean, and and he doesn't give her credit, I feel like. And what's interesting, too, is that a lot of the women on the show go to four years of college, graduate, and then just get married and have kids. And that's their life. And they have nothing for themselves, except maybe, I don't know, cocktail hour or bridge, but they don't have anything for themselves. And I know we flip-flopped a few th- a few times, but in season two, you see a bit of that with the parents and kind of that more idealistic idea of, oh, if we were in France and living a free life in France, instead of this very Americana 1950s, this is the way it has to be. Mm. Um, I think back then people looked at France like, look at all those crazy people and artists and it's nuts. But then that was seeping into the village in New York and there were those artists and those cool beat poets and all these people and life was changing. I mean, this is 1959 1960 like this is like a huge shift from the late 40s and early 50s in terms of like how people are living their lives.
0: Yeah, and and that part of that that whole oh you're just going to college to get a husband oh that, mm, that bothers me that really bothers me because
1: i have heard people say this in the last 15 years to people i know
0: so. i know it that that crap still goes on oh we're gonna send you to college and you're gonna get married to a nice doctor you know like oh like dude like Not to educate on.
1: yourself so you can you know get a different career or get a you know a start in life for yourself and be independent which yeah. is Ideally, the goal of having an education is to be an independent person from both your parents and your partner. In yeah. my opinion, or
0: or at least you you get an education where you you're bettering yourself, right? You're making yourself a better person. You're becoming smarter. You're you're you're, you're getting you're being exposed to more things. It's like no, you're you're going there because we're trying to get you married. That is oh, that is so gross to me, and. So- um,
1: <laughs> I don't know the history of this, but I'm wondering how that actually even was brought up to families in the 50s. Was it like, okay, so you're of a certain means and you can afford an education. So we're going to go through this process of you going as far as you can in your education, which is typically a four-year university and not becoming a doctor, obviously back then for women. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, okay, so what are you supposed to do with that education when you're making a bunch of roasts and cocoa bean and shit for your family? Like, yeah. where are you using this education you got? Because you could have learned how to make a chicken from a recipe book, from a cookbook. Like, it to me, it's like all this, all this work goes where? Yeah. Well, like, where it,
0: does it, it? It wasn't. It wasn't about knowledge. The, yeah. Knowledge. It wasn't about you, uh, or it's not about the women at the time, or even now if it happens, right? It wasn't about the women attaining the knowledge and becoming better people. It was about sending them off so that they can. Find a mate and get married and the mate would provide for them. Because there is that point. There's a point where the father is like and this is the part where it's just like, dude, shut Oh no. Why? Just let it no. But he's he's like he's like, you gotta put on the nicest dress and make yourself up and, and make yourself beautiful and go get him back. And I'm like, oh dude, no, fuck that guy. You know, like like no, he's he's a wimp and he's gonna he's gonna like even then he's
1: gonna, mess like, your life up. he's gonna mess your life up don't go back to that shithead that's even, i mean yeah he's yeah.
0: gonna he's gonna bail out again you know he's too, he's too much of a wimp don't like,
1: and i don't believe in that whole like once a cheater always a cheater crap but i personally just choose mates who don't cheat on me and i know that's hard to do because you don't know how people are gonna change Yeah. No. but for a father to tell a daughter to go back and you know edgar very well that this still happens today i i mean, know Many women, I'm sure, have been cheated on and their fathers have said, oh, well, you need to stay together for the family or where where are you going to find somebody better now? You're 40 years old, which is like so ridiculous because I'm single right now, not married at 38. And I just think about like the people I know who are getting divorced now because there are people my age and younger and Mm -hmm. older who are getting divorced and they're kind of going into the second life of their own. They might not need to remarry. They might just want some time to themselves because they didn't have that before. Or maybe they were forced into a marriage or were unhappy in it. And for a father to tell a daughter that, it's, it's, it's just the times. But it's also not because it still happens today.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the other thing. I, can't, I, I guess one one of the things, uh, one of the realizations I'm coming to as we speak is, is that some of these some of these things that happened then, there's still parallels for it now. It's still kind of happening now, uh, and I mm, it really bugged me, man. It's just like as a father, I would not want my daughter going back to that guy. No, we'll figure it out. I'll help you. We'll buy you a house. We'll figure it out. Oh, this reminds me. I know someone personally. Um, uh, Again, won't mention names, but uh, Bob, uh,
1: Joe,
0: Bob and Joe, Bob. yeah. So, uh, Francine, <laughs> Francine,
1: oh, Francine,
0: yeah. I just I pulled that one out. Yeah, Francine got married. I
1: pulled that out from 1962.
0: <laughs> so Francine, Francine had um, two kids, uh, and the husband in the relationship, Bob, uh, Bob starts cheating or starts flaking really hard like to the point where they get separated and he didn't want to um to pay alimony and other stuff like that but the father at the time uh, had the foresight to buy their house so he bought the house he had he had i don't know i don't know how he how he did it, but the father bought the house for them, so he owns the house. It's his, any, it's his name on the house. It's his name on the house, and I think along with the daughter, right? So the dude not only doesn't want to pay for the alimony or child, um, you know, child support or none of that.
1: Oh, so they have children? Francine and Bob have children.
0: Francine and Bob had two, two, two kids, and he doesn't want to pay for any of that. On top of that, he wants a piece of the house. POS
1: man.
0: Seriously, and 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 uh, thank God the father had the foresight and you know to buy that house for them. Um, he's currently had, he has two daughters. The other daughter uh, also had a like went through a divorce, but didn't have any kids. Was able to like cut clean from the from the guy, Found a new guy, cool guy, liked the guy a lot. He's very very cool. But also I believe. They have a house together, but it's not his house at all. He pays, um, the father bought the house. So the house is owned by the father. And again, I think like, and the daughter in, in that particular relationship. And the husband pays a mortgage to the father. So that if he wants a piece of the house, he has to pay, you know, into the house. And And again,
1: I've never lived a luxurious life where my father, well, my father has been dead since I Mm -hmm. was three, but where my father was able to buy me a house. But the fact that that first situation worked out the way it did, like applause, applause, because I mean, how ridiculous is it that you don't want to even put forth what you should be putting forth as a father and an ex-husband, and then you want a piece of something that was never yours to begin with? Like, are you out of your effing mind? I'm always just astounded at how, and which is probably another reason I've never been married. I want to make a very good choice and I want to make it once. And I have seen, not personally in my family or with any of my close friends, I'm lucky in that, but I have seen people and how scary people get when divorce happens. It turns people's lives upside down and people just become villains like someone you knew on you know your first relationship day one turns into like it's like a Jekyll and Hyde situation and everyone's out for themselves that's scary as hell man
0: yeah yeah and and luckily at least in the show that doesn't really happen it's pretty they're pretty nice to each other I mean uncomfortable in some places
1: I mean they are lucky in that situation in a way because he does Honestly, what's your opinion? I feel like she's the stronger of the two personalities. You see moments with him and his dad where he tries to, like, you know, do better things for himself, but then he kind of falls and backtracks again. I feel like she is the stronger personality of between her and Joel. I feel like she at least comes into being the stronger personality at the end of the
0: day. I think. I think she was always at least i mean from the very beginning of the show when they get married and she's doing that that talk it's it very much foreshadows not only her her train of thought but the kind of person she is but also like the inevitability of her becoming a stand-up right that's kind of like her little kind of a glimpse into the future of what she would look like right and um And, and the fact that she's doing it at her wedding in a wedding dress is hilarious. But uh, I think she was always the stronger character. Uh, she, she, and I think a lot of women just in, in some relationships are, you know, but they, they, they can't, they're in a position where they can't shine, you know, especially with, with in, in the case of where Joel was trying to become a comic and she's writing for him in her little book and getting the spots at, at, at the club and, and, and bringing pot roast or whatever she brought or to her
1: brisket, yeah. yeah her
0: brisket to, 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 to the, to the guy at the club who he was who,
1: always kind of running the show anyway. And she yeah. was the one doing had work too.
0: Yeah. So she, she already had that kind of leadership, that kind of strong personality uh, to begin with. She knew what she wanted, even if it wasn't for herself. She knew she could get this. She knew that she had to do that, and she went and did it. And Joel was just kind of like you know, the path was cleared for him, and he just kind of walked along. And now that now that she has to do it, she's just trailblazing on her own, and uh, it's sad that she has to kind of do it. And at the same part of the problem too for the for me in the show is is like I want her to kind of like find somebody, you know, to to love you know but at the same time it's just like why do we need to kind of attach her to every single guy that comes along on the show you know like uh, I- i'm conflicted because you want that you want that love interest for her you know but i also don't
1: you know uh, she can go it alone
0: but she can go it alone does she really need a guy like you, it's it's going to be hard to kind of um Put her with someone that's going to compliment her character. I thought the doctor would work out pretty nicely, uh just in general. Cause, yeah, because he was in the second season. Guy we're jumping all over the place. Um and it's but, I liked and, when he
1: showed up though, and I knew right away that I of course the minute they show someone who doesn't like the other person, you know they're gonna end up liking each other in some way or another. I love so, that. You know, first, First impressions aren't always the best. Um, yep. But when she has that scene in the car, when they turn off the radio and she starts narrating fake radio play, is like, <laughs> and he realizes, oh, she's a weirdo. Like me, this is cool. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I think that is also really smart because even if you're not a comedian, you don't know comedians or people who like Midge, in real life, you've got those weird moments where you had to take that car ride with someone you didn't want to, or you ran into somebody in a situation that was strange and maybe uncomfortable. But then you have a real cool moment with the person and you never expected to, and you never thought that you would get along with this person or that person. And I'm sure lots of people meet someone they hate and end up getting married to them and very possibly being married for 20, 30 years. Like, who knows?
0: Yeah. I, I, I... I, I have to It's read. Pride
1: and Prejudice, Edgar. I know you've not read Pride and Prejudice. I don't have to ask you if you've read it, because I know you haven't read it. I,
0: I don't read. I, I listen. It's a it I mean.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so to... It's a story about two people who they meet the first time, and they're like, fuck you, fuck you, yeah. except it's in you know, British-y proper language. Yeah. <laughs> idea of someone brushing you the wrong way that first time you meet them, but then that can all change because the story happens.
0: <laughs> I, I, I really did enjoy that. And of course, you know, because we know these stories, we, you know they're going to hook up. You know that they're going to get together eventually, you know? Um, no
1: show can really get away without having the two characters hook up at some point that everybody wants to hook up because if it doesn't happen, audiences get mad and they're not fulfilled. True.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that car scene that you just described, I enjoyed so much. I thought it was hilarious. And then the 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 part of it where he you can see him, like the chemistry between them, he actually starts to kind of fall for her and her kind of weirdness. And I'm like, Oh, this is like not only do you enjoy the the car ride of them and, and her going off and just being weird. But the, the chemistry that's being built and the and his interest in her, like, you know, you, you get to kind of see it and I'm like, oh man, that's that's what but it's like. Yeah. Yeah. You know?
1: And he and he also breaks a smile, which before that he was just nothing on his face, completely blank, didn't want anything to do with her, being forced to spend time with her or date her. Because of his parents. And then mm. when his smile kind of peeks through during that scene, you're like, oh man, she caught him. He likes her. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I don't think Very... she was, I don't remember if she was interested in him either. I can't remember. I don't think she,
1: she... was. No, not at all, because they had that rowboat scene where he wouldn't row. And then. When... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is hilarious too. Oh, by the way, she's wearing an outfit that I need the exact replica of in that scene. It's like a 1950s dress with the shorts under uh-huh. striped green and pink. I'm like, Oh, where do I get that outfit? I do <laughs> it. So I'm going to find someone's going to make it for me. if I can't find it somewhere. But, um, after that scene when he kind of gets forced into taking her back to New York cause she's r- rushing back home to the, um, altman um, makeup counter because she again is always trying to get any opportunity she can to get up in the world in her job um she does not want to be in the car and if you remember she keeps like sleeping and then he'll change the radio and it wakes her up so she kind of was avoiding him entirely but then she saw that opportunity which all comedians do mm-hmm. you know the minute He turned the radio off she just did her thing which is hilarious
0: so what do you think um drives her to to become the comedian is it because I mean obviously she likes the attention right she likes to be the center of attention you think it's a little narcissistic on her part what do you what do you think is, are you
1: calling me narcissistic
0: no I'm not calling you narcissistic I know you identify with her but I, <laughs> I'm just Sorry, saying
1: no, I'm trying to think about it so I'll be honest I could, the only thing that doesn't, okay, I need to say this the right way. The only thing that doesn't strike me as super realistic is that it's the 1950s, right? So she's chosen this life and she's happy to where she's at when the the show begins. That being said, it takes an event, every TV show, every movie, every book has an event that spurs change in someone's life. So for her, it's Joel cheating on her Mm -hmm. and but for me, just seeing those early scenes with her and Joel, she was always the funnier person, the more likable person. And they indicate that throughout all their social circles. It's not just the way I perceived it as a viewer. And I would have a hard time believing that she wouldn't pursue something like that. I would have a hard, like seeing those scenes where she's supporting him and taking notes and writing down you know, different types of ways to approach a joke. I have a hard time believing that she wouldn't want to be like, wait, maybe I should try this on my own or do the jokes, like have a scene where she's reading the jokes at home and testing them out. They didn't really do that because the end of the day, she was supporting her husband, I get that. And she was a loving wife. But when you recognize someone is doing something that you could also do, you should feel the freedom to try it. But in that day and age, in that particular situation at the time, she just let the you know the light shine on him, and she took the attention where she could get it, but it was not on a stage. So when she finally gets up on that stage and gets those laughs, she's like, oh, hell, this feels friggin' awesome. Yeah. And I can tell you, when you get a laugh on a stage, I can relate to this um, more as an actress because I've only dabbled in stand-up comedy, but as a comedic actress, I have definitely fed off a laugh. Like... There is nothing like... I was in high school and I did a production of Cinderella. Very boring show. It's You know, it's been done a million times. But the costume department made me a hat with two huge, like, pointy cones. With the ribbons <laughs> falling. Yeah. And it was so big. I was tiny at the time, and this hat was like half my body size and height. It was so over the top, and I was already a funny character. I did my lines well. So when I come out with that you know, hat, we had to stop the dialogue for a second to let the whole audience just laugh at my hat. And it, that felt like, and of course I gave kudos to the costume girl, cause I don't get credit for making the hat, but that laugh, man, that just felt so damn good. So I think <laughs> that when she gets those on a stage, it's almost like a high, it's like a turn on. It sounds creepy and weird, but it is. It's like to have someone laugh at your joke is amazing, and when a joke falls flat, and when you bomb, it's the complete opposite, and you want to c- climb in a hole and die.
0: Jesus, yeah, I can I can only imagine what it would be. for. I'm, I'm sorry,
1: you should try it out sometime. Get up on uh, the stage, four. that I mean, after COVID, after COVID after is all COVID. Of a sudden, it...
0: wow. no, I that that uh, I thought of it, and uh, I, I don't think I have uh, the courage that it's
1: uh, a it... scary. It's a scary thing. And honestly, Mm -hmm. even if you're playing a version of yourself or you're playing a character completely and you're not yourself, you're usually using your own name, unlike Midge did sometimes during the first season. And for me, being an actor is easier because you have a script and a director. Mm -hmm. And if they tell you to say a line a certain way or the production is a certain type of production, you can blame it on that because the show wasn't successful. When you're yourself on a stage, that is some scary shit, my friend. You got it's no like one to
0: blame whole, but yourself.
1: Yeah, and if your name's in a program or on a, a list, you know, it, that is mm, there's nothing scarier than that, in my opinion. And it's, it's it can be terrifying. It can be mm-hmm. terrifying.
0: No, I mean, I've I've been to comedy shows and I've seen I've seen friends go up and I've seen some people bomb, and it's just. Woo. I'm just like oh and what do you man. think this
1: comes down to is it is it um is it the room is it the timing is it they just weren't funny what do you think like is the whole like collective idea of what a successful set is
0: um definitely I I, I man I am no expert in this but at least from what I saw on that night uh, it's 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 a lot of things right it's it's the writing of the jokes it's and it's the the ability to deliver the joke in in a, in a fashion that that will make people laugh. The performance of it. So I mean, there's there's the writing aspect and then there's a performance. At least from what I can tell. But man, that looks hard. That looks hard because I think I think I would be all right with the performance part. It's the writing part that I think takes a lot of discipline, which I don't have a lot of.
1: <laughs> again, I, this is why I've kind of failed at keeping going out there and doing it is because it's a lot of reworking of things and you have to question your own abilities and how you're going to approach a situation. And as applies to Mrs. Mazel, like if he's writing, okay. So when he steals other people's acts, that's obviously lame. People mm-hmm. did it. It's wrong. It's lame as fuck. That being said, if Midge is writing jokes for him, that's also very sad because I get it that a lot of comedians have people write material for them or used to, and probably still do. And, you know, they have their wife or their husband or friends kind of weigh in and tweak jokes that way. But if Midge is writing jokes for her husband, it's her. And how do you do something that someone else came up with? Or I've even seen comedians perform stories that were not theirs and complete stories from a friend. And there is nothing more, I think, um, it's like plagiarism. Yeah. Like, that's like someone stealing your, your writing or your story. If I saw someone up on a stage performing something that I know I said or did, I would be livid, and rightfully so, because it might not be copyrighted, but it's your life and your words. And I feel like it's always better if it comes from the person who's experienced it, like I mentioned before, rather than some third party
0: yeah it's
1: although Edgar, if you want you can always get like a 101 jokes book and go up on the stage and read them
0: oh she did that right she 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 had a bunch of note cards at one point and was up there like just read it. let me try it this
1: was a really bad suggestion from a yeah. guy who was used to booking talent and I'm like uh comedians do not bring notes up on stage unless <laughs> you're recording like a three-hour set and you need like a reference point to look at once <laughs> in a while that's it like well, you do not bring cards on stage
0: and later and uh, i think in again later in the in the first season she does get to a point where it's like now the note cards are a joke mm-hmm. you know so she's up there and she's getting laughs and it's because of the silly crap that she she wrote and she's trying and she's like not this one <laughs> you know and she's just and she's but she's getting laughs you know um those
1: are the written for her so i remember her like being like uh that's not accurate boom uh eh, not my husband anymore bullshit Eh." (laughs) so it's like funny even when she's put in a situation that most people again like when in season two when she sees her dad most people would be freaked out and would run off stage but she's a badass so she doesn't
0: no she just she's just those you know all all in that that you know
1: what That's 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 a talent that not everybody has though, Edgar. The ability to riff and to um, even though she's not doing uh, improv, she is at the same time. Yeah,
0: Yeah, because that's part of what's happening, right? I mean, obviously the show is written, but she's supposedly, you know, just. Blurting whatever comes out of the top of her head and being funny at the same time. I, and she's landing, right? I mean, she's landing good jokes. I'm like, how do you do that? Like there, I'm, there, there are people. Right? There are people, yeah. There are people who could do that. That they could just everything that goes out of their mouth is golden. And I'm like, Jesus. So let me uh let me cap this off. Um this is uh Tell your
1: wife. Uh, tell your wife that uh, you love her too. Oh
0: yeah, I gotta tell her. I gotta tell her I love her because she probably, she does all these things that I don't know she does. And, uh, and
1: tell her Wu-Tang Forever as well.
0: Wu-Tang, oh she knows. She She's the one she who found the sign. Her. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, this is uh, uh, Edgar Otra Vez on the Flow World Podcast with my host, Emily, and I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Bye guys. Bye bye. Hello guys. <laughs> Music, Ninth Power, by Henyao can be found over at Epidemic Sound. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Edgar Otra Vez, and that was my host, Emily. I always have a good time talking to Emily. She's, uh, she's, she's a pretty funny lady. If you want to support the podcast, head on over to podcast.com. Again, that's podcast. Thanks, and I'll see you.